Okay. So um, it's 6.31. So, oh, oh, look at that. Oh, okay. All right. We'll get started. Thank you for joining us for this elective class on the first day of June when the sun is out and it's green. Although some of you probably escaped the cottony stuff that's flying for air condition and <laughs> clean air. So thank you for being here. This will be five weeks. Um, we will kind of set the stage tonight, and then in the weeks to follow, we'll be a little bit more specific about the topic um, or a practice that we will focus on in relation to community. So before I get started, let's just open in prayer. Father, thank you for the folks that came out to join us this evening. Lord, I pray that as we go through your word and we experience um, just the sense of community and including uh, different writers in our community, um, I pray that their words would be um, just something, a balm to our soul or something that will nudge us or get us to think a little bit differently or maybe confirm what it is that we know about community and what you love about community. Lord, I pray that you will be present with us and that your spirit would just be at work in our hearts and minds and that you will prepare us to receive whatever it is that you have for each of us tonight. I pray that our fellowship and conversation is pleasing to you and honoring to you as well. We love you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <coughs> I um, am not up on stage because I want to be a little bit more casual. During Wednesday nights, Eric talks a lot about, or this year, he talked a lot about trying to create a different um, kind of climate or an intentional um, feeling of community and that we are going through scripture and we're having conversations together or we are wrestling with things together and that whoever up here whoever it is that is up here is not the expert on all things and so we want to have some discussion and we want to have a little bit of give and take um, and so I feel that it's easier to engage in that at this level than up there and I feel like being down here allows me to be part of this group um, or be seen as part of this group um, and rather than being up there and being the expert at something because really we're not. <laughs> um, so here is, um, I just want to give you a brief history of where this topic came from. I feel very passionate about it. I have for a couple of years now. Um, I'm in seminary at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. Um, it's a multi-denominational seminary. Um, so I have the fortune of being exposed to a lot of different um, churches, a lot of different doctrine, um, and I am really quite surprised at how much in common we have. Um, and I have, had I have had professors, like, I think from all over the map, um, Baptists, um, Methodists, Lutheran, I mean, it, it's just really bad, and I have expected to like somehow see this difference or something like, but I I don't. And sometimes when we when they point things out, it might be just a doctrinal thing, and it doesn't dictate how they interact with class or community. 
And so I really appreciate that about Fuller. And also the thing that I really appreciate about Fuller is that they have a very long history of supporting women in leadership in churches. And so I appreciate that and not having to fight about being a woman who feels called to ministry and to teach and preach as well. And so I've been at Fuller for two years. I have two more years because I'm taking one class at a time because I work full time and I have four kids. Um, so <laughs> I have to like kind of, you know, do what I can. And it has been really quite remarkable and I feel like I've grown a lot um, as a person and as a member of this community, um, the Christian community, the community of followers of Christ. Um, I would say that one of the biggest things that has been influential for me was right in my very first class, um, talking about vocational um, ministry and what is our vocation. And so Fuller has this real emphasis on vocation and then what our calling is and determining what that is and then also what does that look like to live that out. And so that's where this, partially where this came from because I'm constantly thinking about what is my vocation? What is my calling? And so when we talk about vocation, I want to share with you an idea or just the history of the word vocation because its root is Latin and the word is voc vocera and it means to call. So vocation is to call. When I first heard this, I always thought of vocation like as my job. Like when somebody said, Amy, what is your vocation? I used to say, well, I'm a teacher. You know, that's my vocation. And then um, in this class, it became something different because we looked at the root of it and the call. So what is it that we are called to? And as followers of Christ, Christians, we assert that God is the source of all of our callings, right? That we are wanting to follow him. We want to discern his calling for us. But we generally, um, he generally calls people to him, right? Generally, Jesus is calling people to him. That's the first calling that we experience. But then the other thing is that he may call each of us to a particular time, place, group of people, um, situation. And so that's the other calling, another way to think about what our calling is. So in my, for my example, um, my calling to ministry was very clear. I never thought that in a million years that I would be in ministry coming out of a um, background in education. But the circumstances that led up to me being here in full-time ministry um, are, I, I couldn't call them a coincidence because between my husband and I, um, there were too many things that lined up, um, and there was there were too many affirmations, um, and there were there were too many doors that were closed, and so um, for me the calling was very clear. And I know that a lot of times people work really hard to discern God's calling about where they're serving, maybe um, where they're volunteering, where they're working. I would say, and I like to say to people when they're trying to discern God's call in their life, um, it's important to not just sit still and wait, right? We still have to be active. Like try something because he might speak to you in that trying. 
you know, if you're not sure where to serve, you know, try something. Hospitality, the nursery, um, ushering, greeting, the information desk. Like, try something, like get started. And God, can, God will also speak to you in that. But sitting still and just waiting for that calling to discern um, is not what he intended. So our particular calls can vary widely from person to person. We don't all have the same call. And even within the span of a lifetime, so whether or not I'm here, people, people ask me all the time, what are you going to do when you're done with your degree at Fuller? Uh, my plan is to stay here. <laughs> but I never say never anymore because I said that I would never go back to school for many years. Like John asked me for years, do you want to go back to school? Nope. Do you want to preach? Nope. Do you want to preach? Nope. <laughs> and so here I am doing all of the things I said that I would never do because of that call, listening and all of the different um, affirmations of that call. And so calling is action, right? Looking for what it is that God is calling us to do and then moving in that direction or moving in any direction until he gives you the guidance that you're needing. So when, it, when we talk about action, there are two terms that I find very interesting um, and they can be, they're applied to a lot of, a lot of um, religions. One is, one is orthodoxy, and the other one is orthopraxy. So on, you have a sheet, and my intent with this was to give you an opportunity to make notes if you want to, or just guide our discussion a little bit so you know what direction that we are headed. So orthodoxy, um, I was introduced to these two terms in um, a class that was um, practices of community. And so orthodoxy is, is people oftentimes think about what you know to be true, like the doctrine, like right thinking. Okay, so as followers of Christ, what are some of the things that we know, like, com like as a follower of Christ, what, is some of th what are examples of the doctrine that we know to be true and that we live by? What God is God. Christ died for our sins. He is our Savior. He is a covenant representative. He calls us to love. What was the other one? He rose again. Yep, he resurrected, and he will return. Okay? So the other thing is, they were, both of these were said, love God, God is God, and love others. And those are the two things that Christ fulfilled on his time, at, you know, during his time on earth, during his ministry. And so orthodoxy is what you believe, right thinking, okay, in accordance to what you say you believe. As Christians, the orthodoxy is what we believe, the right thinking. The orthopraxy is what I often think of is practice. Praxy, practice. So this is right action, okay? Right practice, right action. 
So the idea of practice is not about practicing what is right, though. Okay? Because if we go there, we get tangled up with this um, works. Like, tell me what all the right things are, and I'll do it so that I can get to heaven. So we have to be careful about that because when we talk about, when I talk about orthopraxy, I'm not talking about here's your list of right things as a follower of Christ, do these and you'll be guaranteed to have the outcome that you want. That's not what we're talking about. So right practice is rather um, talking about gospel living. Orthopraxy isn't just doing all the right things, it's living the gospel. And the gospel is the story of Jesus and his ministry, and we are called to live a Christ-like life. And so that's what the gospels are about. The gospels are telling us, this is the right living, this is the orthopraxy. The trick for us is, how do we actually put that into practice here? Like, our context is a bit different than what Jesus's was, but in the same respect, there's some same things, too. Like, there's similarities and there's differences. So for us, in community, like the community of Timberwood Church, the, the church as a whole, the global church, our orthopraxy is figuring out what it looks like to live the gospel. That's orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy is right practice. So the other thing that sticks out to me is that, and I want to be really, really clear about this, this is not just about doing right things. Because people can do the right things you know, whatever they think is right, people can do the right things. Come to church on a Sunday, give, tithe, volunteer, whatever. People can do what they think are the right things, but they might not come from the heart of where it ought to be coming from. So your doing comes from your being. So when you are in Christ, Christ in us, and we have this desire to follow him and understand who he is and how he lived, how he ministered, that knowledge and understanding of him is what formulates and tells us what we're doing or ought to be doing. Does that make sense? Okay. So, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, the question, the big question of this class is, what does that look like? So we're going to talk about what we know and then what we do or ought to be doing in regards to community and what, what God, what the Bible has told us about community. So as Christians or followers of Christ or members of a certain church like Timberwood or participants in Timberwood, it, doesn't even, it does not matter if you are a formal member of the church, what would our orthodoxy look like? Those things that we talked about. So our orthodoxy would be if you have been, um, if you have gone through our membership class, 
this, this would tell you what our orthodoxy is. This is what we believe. So based on what we believe and what we have shared here, God is God, love others, Jesus is our Savior, our covenant representative. We are to live a Christ, cruciform, Christ-like life. What ought our orthopraxy look like then? What are examples of what you would expect the orthopraxy of a community of Christians to look like? Loving. Loving. That's super broad, right? So give me examples of what does it mean to love? There's no wrong answer. Show compassion. Serve fruits of the Spirit. Forgive. Yep, accept others. Help your neighbor, especially when your neighbor is your dad or father-in-law. <laughs> yep. Generosity. Yep. Hospitality. Kindness. Yeah, so those are the things, those are some of the things that we're going to talk about in a few more on your list. You'll see that next week we'll be talking about dignity and gratitude and what that looks like, the orthopraxy of um, dignity and gratitude, and then promises and living truthfully. What does that look like? Practicing hospitality, um, and then practices of worship. Worship is such another broad. You can say love, but worship is really broad too, right? So there's not one prescribed way to do it. So, okay. So the other part of this um, motivation for me is from Romans, and you all have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you, and Romans, I, I should have a blue Bible, but I don't, so I don't know what page it's on. It's um, Romans 12. Nine forty-seven. So Romans 12, we're going to look at verses 9 through 18. My Bible titles this section, Marks of the True Christian. Marks, meaning signs, probably orthopraxy of a true Christian. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal or zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And he goes on. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. He did not write, live peaceably to all that think and act and live like you. Right? He was not, he was not exclusive here. He was inclusive. He said all. And so I really like this because I feel like this is, this is, he's instructing us on what community looks like and not just Christian community, not just a church being for Christians, but what does the church as a whole, like a big C church, capital C meaning the global church that has been established, what is the, what is the purpose, the orthopraxy of that level of church? So you see, we talk here locally, Timberwood, inside the doors, inside the classrooms of our children's ministry on Sunday, in our worship center on a Sunday or Wednesday, in our gathering space with coffee and donuts in our hand. And then when we go out, like say to the soup kitchen and serve on the third, um, is it the third or the second Sunday of the month? I think it's the third. Or when we go out to the mission field, the Detroit team is meeting tonight and they'll be going to Detroit in July, our vacation Bible school. The Bible studies that we do in other people's homes. What are some of the other things that we do as a community of Timberwood? We are outstretching. Timberwood supports many um, missionaries in the field. The generosity of this community to Dan, who is in Poland, helping the Ukrainians cross and get out of there, the generosity was overwhelming. That crossed the sea, you know? So how big does this get? So local and then global. What does this look like? What, is, what does this practice look like? Okay, so I was assigned a book to read in the winter of 2021. Think back to where you were in 2021. My kids were not in school. I had a freshman in college who left to go to college and had a terrible experience. It was not <laughs> what we paid for by any means. And what I saw around me was Disagreement about masking, disagreement about vaccinating, disagreement about being in church in person, disagreeing about pretty much everything and anything. And so during this time, I was assigned this book called Living into Community, Cultivating Practices That Sustain Us. And um, it captured my it captured my attention and this incredible sense of disconnection that I felt. You know, um, we were the fortunate ones here. Like, the, the staff at Timberwood, we were able to come to work because our offices are so isolated. So we still had community, but so many people didn't. And so that was difficult. So there was still this sense of community for me, but there was still a, a really difficult disconnect for all of us and then this opposition for all of us and this is these are the first two pages and I'm going to read to them read them to you and if you would you close your eyes and just imagine this scenario 
this breakdown could have been avoided. But then, few breakdowns in community are inevitable. In this case, some folks made several poor decisions. Other people responded poorly to poor decisions. More decisions, more responses, more trouble. Words were exchanged, positions hardened. Sides were drawn up. Rumors flew, and even when folks knew they were rumors, they repeated them until it was very difficult to discern what had really happened. People were angry and hurt. Some conversations stopped, and new alliances were formed. Only certain people knew about key meetings. A lot of energy was expended in determining motives, justifying decisions, and anticipating the opposition's next move. Regular activities continued, but the life was drained out of them. Everything seemed hollow. Small acts and occasional comments were, were fretted with huge symbolic meaning. Everyone felt undervalued and betrayed by someone. A number of people threatened to leave. The meltdown had taken on a life of its own. Friends questioned one another's commitments. Grumbling and weariness became highly contagious. Disagreements took strange turns. Old differences and hurts came to the surface and played into the present trouble in unpredictable ways. Some people ducked, determined to weather the storm without being drawn into it. Others defected in place showing up when the occasion required it, but emotionally and relationally absent and detached. A few seemed to add fuel to the fire, reporting the latest outrageous development and speculating on what might happen next. Still, others tried to keep conversations going and looked for resolution, but were often battered and sidetracked in the process. Several years later, members of the community continued to live with the wounds even as they move forward. Is this the description of a church? Is it the description of a school? An intentional community, a parachurch organization, an extended family? Because these breakdowns are really common and they felt very common in the last two years and they were painful. Even general descriptions can evoke many memories. Places, events, personalities, consequences flood our thoughts. We have been there. We remember the feelings of disappointment, hurt, helplessness, betray, and anger. And we often remember the sense of having been sullied by the experience. Perhaps we wanted to make things better, but found it nearly impossible in the moment, and we'd been caught up in the downward pull of a whirlpool that was not leading to anything good. First two pages of this book that I read in January of 2021. <laughs> And this book, by the way, I think was published in 2012, <laughs> right? So, you know, I reflect on this and, you know, it's easy for me to point fingers. It's harder for me to look in the mirror and say, oh, you participated in that. I sure did. I mean, I sure did. Because what happened was in I was having a conversation with somebody today on the phone, and um, she said something. She said, when our opinions become more important than our people, we're in trouble. 
And so there was so, there was so much going on in our world. And I think because we weren't able to be together and connected, I think it showed the importance of community and being together, right? Like physically together. You can watch on TV, you can watch the live stream, but there's nothing, those of you that are at home, <laughs> there's nothing like being here and being present. Nothing will you know, take its place or replace that. And so we're made to live in community. I feel like this last two years proved it. It was painful. And then re-entering community, it's kind of painful too. Because quite honestly, it looks different. It'll never look the way it was. People would say, I can't wait till things go back to normal. They haven't. And they're probably not going to. We're going to move forward with a different kind of normal and reestablish routines and that kind of thing. And so our culture also, in this, during this time, people reevaluated their life and their priorities, how they spend their time because we had nothing to do, right? We got tons of house projects done. So people re reprioritized, and they said, I am never going back to that busy life. I can't commit myself to that extent anymore. Awesome. Awesome. But we still have the same 24 hours in the day, seven days in the week. And so how are we spending our time? What are we doing? How do we reevaluate what it means to engage in community? In light of now, we've committed to not busying ourselves like we used to. So what does it look like now? Our culture fights against us because our culture actually wants us to think that um, we can do or we should do what makes us feel good, what, right? And what we want. We have a very, um, like, independent, freedom-based mentality, like I, can, I should be able to do what I want and be happy. I can't even tell you how many times my teenagers, and I have four of them, well, one's 20, but she's a teenager, has said, like, this isn't fair. I just want to be happy. Not my job. Really, not my job. <laughs> Safe, fed, introduce you to Jesus, <laughs> but happy? Mm. And so when we make these decisions, our society kind of, you know, sabotages us a little bit, and it creates a challenge in finding this balance between, like, this selfish ambition, this self-flourishing and self-fulfillment, because that's what I was taught in psychology. Do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The basic food shelter, and that the top is self-actualization? So what this said was that you're not at the top of this. So how do you serve? How do you live in community with yourself not being at the top of it? So this is our challenge. And the bigger challenge, I think, now is redefining community. And that's what I hope that we can do. So. If we are to define community, how would you define it? It is like, this is like love, <laughs> this is like worship. What is community in your eyes? It doesn't have to be the perfect answer. It doesn't even have to be a definition. What is community? Doing things, Doing things together. Helping, Helping each other. A group?
in our disconnectedness. Doing what's right for all and not for self. Who is community? We, we, yep, we are. How else do you define community in regards to who? Whoever God puts in your life, anybody in your path. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's really broad. Physical, who you live by. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You have these rings, right, of association and community. It's your family that you live with, and then your extended family, and then it grows. And, you know, how many times, you know, we, we identify ourselves as your people, right? Like, we're your people. We'll take care of you. We're your people. Who's my neighbor? Yeah, right. I was doing some research on community and the definition of community. It was, wow. So what I found was <laughs> good definitions. Um, a community is a social group whose members have something in common, such as a shared government, geographic location, culture, heritage, last name, DNA, <laughs> home. Community can also refer to the physical location such as that a group lives in. It can refer to the town or the city or the village. Like, there's so many different ways that we refer to community. Community can also refer to a group of people who live in an area. It can also be more general, you know, where it, it, we might say it is the Christian community or the Muslim community or the homeless community. So some synonyms for community, society, like I've never thought about this. Society, association, how many of you are a member of an association? A nation? Public? I mean, public's pretty broad. That pretty much sweeps us. District, other words that have the same shared root of community, common, commune, community center, communitarian, communitas. There's a church in Brainerd. Its name is communitas. And then communion. I looked for this link of co with communion, right? And so with communion, um, where did I put it? I was, um, I don't remember, oh, here. So in communion, and I think about this, like we will share communion together on Sunday. So we are in communion, which is community. We commune together. We partake in communion so we are giving thanks when we do this. We're giving thanks and praise to God for his son by breaking bread and thanksgiving and sharing the cup as we bless God's name. That's the purpose. Communion always points us back to Christ. It's that centering peace. It's that thing that we have in common. When we belong to Jesus, we are united 
with all other believers around the world. In a very special way, when we break bread, we are reminded of all of the people that break bread in the name of Jesus. That's our community as well. And so going back to this idea of community, all these words, group, section, body, company. You work for a company, it's your community. Circle, click, band. I'm not talking music. <laughs> Faction, gang, bunch, all of these things associate us with groups, some sense of community. And then when there's a common ownership in some way, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a fraternity, a sorority, a colony, an institution, an order, um, a circle, a league, golf league, dad, <laughs> it's a community. And then we talk about a location as well. So we live in a rural community. <laughs> when I have colleagues in school, like we're all remote, right? Some of my classes require us to meet face-to-face -face via Zoom. Um, but when I describe where I am, they're like, what? And it's really fun in the dead of winter. They're like, what's going on in Minnesota today, Amy? And I'm like, oh, there's a blizzard. Kids got out of school. <laughs> they're like, what? That was in April. <laughs> Not kidding. So. This geographic location is part of our community as well. And so community is so broad. Like, honestly, when I, when I set out to just like get a definition of community, like, what does Webster say? No, it's all the things and all these words, and we don't even think about the, these words that associate us to community or a sense of community. And so this goes back, again, to this call as followers of Christ, this call to be in community and what that looks like. So when you are part of a community, oftentimes a community kind of establishes like a set of rules or guidelines or like, you know, as parents, Steve and I say that when you are a member of this family, you're required to participate and contribute in certain ways. We don't pay for chores. Uh, was it last night I texted Lily or this morning? I know she's not watching this. Girl, you need to come home and clean the kitchen because you have not been home for days. And you need to go over to grandma's and clean because you told her you were going to clean last week. <laughs> and so there's certain things. She texts me back. She goes, oh, are you making me come home because I haven't been home for so many days? Right on. You're part of this, right? I overheard her talking to a friend a couple days ago. Her goal this summer is to be at home as little as possible and sleep as little number of nights at home as possible. <laughs> right. That's scary, actually. <laughs> That's scary. You're 15. Oh, Lily, right. So the, these practices of community and this whole idea, what does it mean? What are the expectations when you live in community? What is your guidance? Orthopraxy is often our guidance, right? So when you come to Timberwood Church and you go to, um, well, it used to be the membership class, but now we changed it 
it's called the getting to know intro to Timberwood because we don't want to scare people and think they have to become a member because we're really not member driven. Um, and so the new thing will be um, bring your coffee and questions and come and learn about Timberwood. But when you go through this, you learn about Timberwood's prom, uh, purpose and covenant, right? So this is going to describe our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. It says the purpose of Timberwood Church is to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ, worshiping, serving, celebrating together. That's community. And this is saying this is how we're going to do it. It goes on to say a disciple commits to obey Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, orthodoxy, growing in knowledge of him, orthopraxy, service for God, and sharing of God, orthopraxy, right? So when we look at orthopraxy and orthodoxy, it's not like we've got this circle of orthopraxy, orthodoxy here and orthopraxy over here. And it's not even that they should just kind of be like this Venn diagram thing. They should just overlap a little. They should all the way overlap, right? If your orthodoxy is informing your orthopraxy, you're living the gospel life, it's like they're together. They're married. They're not separated. So, the global community, how much bigger should we see community? I feel like it's really easy for us to talk about community in terms of what is close to us, right? And I think when we talk about our missionaries and we, or we watch the news and we see what's going on, we recognize that there are other communities experiencing other things, but at the same time, I, I can speak for myself, I think about that as them over there because I'm not really impacted by it. Like, I may hurt for the Ukrainians. I may feel angry about what they are experiencing, and yet there's a distance. And so then I have to ask myself, how do I respond to this feeling that I have? What's the best way to respond? But generally speaking, when we hear about, you know, atrocities that are happening around the world, we read a headline and we might not give it a lot of thought, but if we put the lens on of what we are called to be, followers of Christ, if we navigated life as Jesus did in his ministry on earth, how might that lens change? So we have this perspective, right? So where we live gives us perspective. And our view of community can oftentimes be narrow. And I recognize that. Like, I get it. And I was challenged by something um, that I read. What if you exchanged somebody else's name from over there with one of your own kids? You know, then what does that do to you inside? Like, how does that make you feel inside? And we define um, community based on our social location. Have you heard that term before, social location? So social location, I had never heard about it before, but um, when you read the Bible and study the Bible, you have to be aware of your own social location. 
And so social location means what experience, what lens do you view and navigate life through? Like what I have experienced in my life, where I grew up, who my parents were, who my family was, what my experiences were in school, all of that, my relationships with people, they give me some lens in which I navigate life. And I wear them all the time, and I cannot take them off because it is my perception, and my perception is my reality, right? So here's an example. Um, and this is, this is like really in the forefront for me. Being, having been a woman in male-dominated careers for the last 14 years, like superintendents, high school principals, and then pastors, there are very few people who really can empathize with me and understand what it feels, even though there is a tremendous amount of support. You know, they want this to be a welcoming, we want this to be a welcoming community. But I can't share that experience with you because it's only mine. And another woman who has experienced, you know, um, professions in male-dominated fields would not have even the same experience that I have had. And so it, it, when you think about this perception that we have and this lens that we wear to navigate and have this perception of life, it's so vastly varying, right? I think about my brother and I. We could not be more different. Sometimes we're like, were we raised in the same house with the same parents? Honestly, like honestly, <laughs> we're really different. But our personality has an impact on that too, right? So our makeup, our personality, our psyche um, also dictates how we handle certain things that come at us in life, right? If I'm going to be put down as a woman or passed over as a woman, I'm probably gonna get feisty. I'm probably not gonna just quietly go away. But I have had the fortune of, you know, being raised by people and being around people who have encouraged me and respected my capabilities and capacities and really given me um, confidence. Although the other part of being a woman in male-dominated fields, there is also oftentimes a false confidence that women will have because we feel like we have to have it. And that's not something that a lot of people can understand. And so our perception, what I want to drive home, is that we have to be so careful. I'm so fascinated by how people interact in life, and I have been for a long time. I'm, act, I'm, I'm trained as a cognitive coach in education. And so what that means is I need to get to know somebody um, kind of on the psychological level and how they navigate. Like I need to figure out their lens. And I need to figure out how they function and how they view life because that's my key to get them to move in the direction that I need them to move as the leader of a school district or whatever. Um, Steve, you used to call it something that, like that ninja thing, or what did you call it? I don't even remember. 
But it was like, I can't turn it off. Like, I am always, it doesn't matter who I meet, I always want to figure out their story so that I can understand their response to life. Like, why are you so angry with me? <laughs> or why do you need my affirmation so badly? Or why do you need my permission? Or um, why do you have a hard time when somebody raises their voice? Well, chances are you maybe experienced some verbal abuse at some point in your life. And so what are those triggers? What are those responses? And why are they happening? And so this is that lens. This is that perception. And so when we talk about perception, we talk about what makes us who we are and what we've experienced that makes us see the world and everybody in it the way we do. And it's all different. So how do we get on the same page now? This is how we get on the same page. We all have the same words. And that's part of being in this community. So consider how our faith and our identity in Christ, as followers of Christ, ought to influence our social location. If you were to write down, is that on your paper? Kinda, yeah. Um, this will be an exercise in just a minute, but if you were to write down all of the factors of your social location, what would they, like how do you identify yourself? For example, when I have to do a project and I'm with people literally around the world, and if it's a group project or we're doing something together, we have to identify our social location because it will inform my classmates about why I respond to something the way I do. So if there is an African-American woman um, from the deep south in my class and she's, I'm feeling some anger from her, I know why. <laughs> I know why, or I think I might know why. So I also have to be careful not to make assumptions about somebody. I need to hear them, engage with them to to try to fully understand the perspective or the lens in which they're navigating life. But our social location is really important when we're in community understanding. I mean, it's not like we're gonna walk up to somebody and say, okay, Carol, uh, we're gonna be in this discussion group and I need to know everything about you so that I can understand you. We're, we don't do that, but we do life together. Right? We, we do community together, and those people that are closer to us, we do take the time and we do get to have some of those answers, and we do know. So social location is really important. And the other thing that was new to me is that we bring our social location to interpreting this as well. This is why we have things like um, feminist theology or... Um, Oh shoot, it's right on the top of my tongue or tip of my tongue. Oh golly. I'll think of it later and then I'll just shout it out. But all these different kinds of theologies, they come from people who are bringing a specific lens to interpreting the Bible, right? 
And so um, our social location matters. And then this guy, this is the other person that I'm very interested in. Um, Mark Laberton is the president of Fuller. Um, I was not assigned this book. I actually read it. I just was like, oh, I'd, I'd be really interested. Who is this president of Fuller? And I actually really like him. Um, he, this book is called The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor, Seeing Others Through the Eyes of Jesus. And so he talks about this idea of your spiritual location. And so what he describes is this. So he had never even thought in a million years that he would be a pastor. His family, he was not raised in a Christian church-going family, but somebody had given him a book as a teenager called the Bible and told him to read all the Gospels. And so he read all the Gospels, all the Gospels, over and over again, because it's the only thing he could understand. And so he came to faith on his own by reading the Bible and reading the Gospels over and over. And he said, now I lived in Christ in the world. That was my new address, social location, and it affected everything. It meant the world was bigger and deeper that things close at hand and far away all mattered more. Because he was living in Christ in the world. And so it's this lens of Christ. If we put this lens of Christ on, what does it look like? Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. I oftentimes will say, and you maybe have heard me say this on a Sunday morning, Christ in us, Christ through us, Christ is in us, and therefore he can work through us if we allow it. Sometimes <laughs> he'll surprise us. Sometimes I'm in a conversation with people, like this is how this can work sometimes. I've been in conversations with people and I'm praying because I have nothing. Like I don't have words, I don't even know what to say. And I'm like, okay, God, like, this is all you. Like, I got nothing. And then all of a sudden, something brilliant comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, wow, that wasn't me, but that was brilliant. <laughs> I can't even take credit for it. <laughs> so that happens sometimes. That's how, I, oftentimes, how I experience um, the Holy Spirit, God's activity in my life. Like, I hear words when I don't have them, because ev- most of people that know me know that I am usually not at a loss for words. I can usually find words. <laughs> so if Christ is in us and Christ and we allow Christ to flow through us, how does that change how we see the world and other people? In the scenario that I read earlier in living in community or any scenario of conflict that we have experienced and we've all experienced them when our lens is influenced by the world that we live in, which is a world that tells us that we need to look out for ourselves, we need to be happy, we need to have all the things that we want, it will also direct us to language of psychology and therapy 
to interpret what we are experiencing. Because our world wants to explain everything. Everything. And I just described this. Like, I want to understand why people behave the way they do from a psychological perspective. That's what I just described to you because it helps me to understand. But if we're not careful, and I, have to, I do have to be careful, if we're not careful, we oftentimes will interpret things, interpret personalities as dysfunctional, codependent, passive-aggressive, or we may think that leadership styles are outdated or just simply ineffective, and we have an opinion about all of them. And I'm very interested in, when we do that, the labels that we put on, right? Because we're labeling people. It's easy to categorize, because then we can say that's them, and I'm not them, so I'm good, I'm over here. So labeling is just a convenient psychological trick for ourselves. But an interesting thing that Mark talks about in this book, about when we identify um, our spiritual location, labeling comes from a need that we have to categorize for ourselves, to make us feel better. But he said naming has to come from the heart. When you name something like God named, it was very thoughtful. And so naming is different. Naming might be to add value instead of a label or a quick explanation. And so naming is important, but naming has to come from your heart. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really spend a lot of time, I mean, thinking about what my kids' names meant, but I mean, all the names in the Bible, like, they all mean stuff. <laughs> I have a Sophia, I have Max, I have Lily, and I have Jack. I don't know. I just went through names, and they sounded good, right? And Jack was Jack Thomas because we thought Jack Thomas sounded real great if he was going to be famous, and the announcer said, Jack Thomas Labar. <laughs> That's not a lie. <laughs> that is actually how that happened. <laughs> and he's the shyest kid we have, by the way. So watch out for him. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so what I would like you to do right now, and just, this is personal. You can write it, you can think about it, but on this paper, on the back side of it, right in the middle, it says personal reflection. What words describe your social and spiritual location in the world? Which aspects of your social and spiritual location do you think most Influent, oh, are most influential in your life? And which aspects do you think most affect others you encounter?
Is this hard to do? In what ways is it difficult to do? Why is it easy to do? Right. Sometimes we have this um, perception of ourselves that might be right, generous, or it could be, yes, or it could be the other way. We might be harder on ourselves. Yep. Yep. Did you find things missing? I think it's easier to, you know, put the words to your um, your social location because those feel more like labels, right? Like, I'm a female, I'm Caucasian, I live in the Midwest, I'm a mother, a wife, a pastor, a friend, you know, I, those are easy, right? Mm-hmm. Those are experiences. Those are part of my identity. It also identifies community, right? Okay? Because moms, you know, can talk mom stuff. Wives can talk wife stuff. So that we have that commonality. So that forms some community for us. Is it difficult is it more difficult to identify your spiritual location? This was new to me. I mean, just new, like in the last month of reading this book, this idea of spiritual location. Is it harder to do that? Right. So is it your own, what you see your spiritual location being or what you think others see it as? Because it, it could be different, right? Because sometimes um, we might want to occupy a chair here on Sunday morning so that other people see us here because we want to make sure that other people perceive us as in a good spiritual location or we're doing the right things. Again, it's that thing that needs to come from being. Yep. Yep. Right. We can we can do the right things for the wrong reason. Yep. Yep. It's the doing comes from the being. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as parents, like, yes, <laughs> as a parent, how do you let your child um, who's old enough to make the decision to come to church or not, not force them 
you know, when they were kids, it was just like, this is what, why do we have to go to church? This is what we do. <laughs> Come on. I'm bigger than you. I'll just carry you to the car. And now I, they're all bigger than me, which isn't hard. My kids now? No. My kids come to church because I said this is what we do? No. My kids have a hard time coming to church because I am doing what I do at church. So they pull the PK card. <laughs> yeah. So much pressure, which I get. Like, but again, there's a perceived pressure on them that I really have a hard time seeing happening here. You know? I mean, really, and maybe I don't want to see it. Or maybe there's individual, like, you know, it only takes one person to say one thing to one of my kids to be like, oh, oh. I mean, that's true for all of our kids. <laughs> oh, I've totally, yes. I've totally done that. You don't like Timberwood? It gives you anxiety because it's too big, too many people? Go to a different church, honey. Or sneak in, sneak in the side, sneak out to the side. She's like, I'll just watch you from church or from home. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. So that influence, I mean, there's so many influences on our spiritual location and how it's perceived, how we think we are perceived and how we perceive ourselves, right? Because there's a lot of influence on us. And yes, some people really care about that. Right, like if I, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. If I really cared about my kids being seen at church, I could really ruin their future relationship with Jesus, right? If my concern was about them occupying a chair here next to me every Sunday, mm, I think that would do far more damage than letting them find their way. Yeah, and I think this question about what words, like how do you describe your social and your spiritual location, I think the spiritual location is the challenging part because how do I perceive myself? Like how do others perceive me? I think that could be good or bad. Like I may be doing things that I don't think are that valuable, but somebody else might be say, oh my gosh, I, that, I'm so glad you did that. You know, or to be really honest with you, I did not want to preach, and I, w I don't need to preach. Like, I do not need to sit on a stage and preach, but there are people, there are people that benefit from a woman preaching. Everybody can benefit from all the different voices that are up there, so I don't preach for myself <laughs> because I would rather not get up on a stage on a Sunday morning but so yeah, so my social location actually is influenced by this community.
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, I read in here, which really struck me, um, no, I might not find it. Oh, here. Um, if, we, if we could cut through our complacency and despair, we might be shocked at what is really at stake here. The character of our shared life as congregations, communities, families, has the power to draw people to the kingdom or push them away. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we will ever get to preach, right? So it's really important, you know, as, as a parent, I mean, as a human, you know, do as I say, not as I do, not cool. Like that does not work. It shouldn't work doesn't work, right? So our life and how we live, you know, when people aren't looking, you know, we talk to our kids about that, you know, what you do when nobody's looking says a lot about you. What you do at home, you know, how I interact with my children at home matters. How I interact with my spouse at home matters. You know, do I act differently at home versus church with my husband or my kids? My kids would tell you, yeah. Because <laughs> they would say, why are you always nicer to everybody else's kids? I'm like, because I like them. I don't have to be with them as much. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's one hour a week on Sundays and an hour and a half on Wednesdays. It's tolerable. <laughs> I'm a super sarcastic mom, too, so I don't know if that's helpful or not helpful. It depends on the kid, I suppose. Oh, right. Tell me who you were with, and I can tell you what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I think that, I hope that throughout the week to come, you'll think a little bit more about your social location or, or, um, and your spiritual location and how that identifies you and how it identifies other people, right? Because those things matter, whether it's us being perceived or, or us perceiving other people. So um, the very last section like after class reflection i want you to take some time and if you're comfortable in having a conversation with people around you i would encourage you to do that and if you're comfortable um, at the end with a few minutes left sharing what some of your responses are uh, i think that would be helpful and beneficial to our community here um, but these are questions uh, that my small group uses every single time we get together, no matter what we read or what we do. They're always the same every single time. And I like to use them in things that I read. If I read a book or a chapter, I'll go through these questions. What's stuck from this first class or what's stuck from the chapter that I read if it was just me personally? What is the most challenging for you? 
what are the takeaways or the applications for you? And then I felt God speaking to me tonight in the following way. So take some time. Those questions, those exact same questions will be there every week. But I think it's important for us to reflect on them. And then if you're comfortable sharing um, towards the end, that would be helpful as well.
I walked through and saw lots of writing. Do you like the paper to help go through? That's the teacher in me. I can't help myself. Oh, on the back table. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I should have done a better job of hosting and saying, everybody have a paper. Go, yeah, there's gold stars back there, too. And attendance. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, kidding. Um, anybody willing to share um, what maybe those last few questions about what was what stuck out, what's challenging? Uh, what struck you in Greg's class? I wrote, how important community is and how it truly affects and impacts not only me as an individual, but how it also impacts and affects me in my surrounding community. Yeah, yeah. How community impacts you as an individual and then those around you. Yeah. Every every ask like you're in community everywhere like you do have an influence and an impact everywhere you are everywhere yeah i had a, a woman last fall during small group kind of startup time and she's like you know i'm in this small group and um i don't really know that i get that much out of it <laughs> and i said i know okay but I said, what if the people in your group really get something from you? Like, you have a lot to offer the group. And she said, oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> and so it kind of, like, I, I oftentimes think about we're so trained to be a consumer, you know, of whatever it is you know, sit and get, or how does it impact me? And then to think that you could have a positive impact on some, like your presence has a positive impact on somebody else, like, oh, I, I never thought about that. Like, oh, yeah. You know, just like John, like John, Amy, preaching is not about you being up there. It's about everybody else, you know, experiencing you being up there. It's not for me. What else? Anything else stand out? Anything challenging for you? I think just a great reminder for us to really to measure that many, 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 many times and just sit and hear how we're doing in our times of need and be able to really set those beautiful um, pages, pictures uh -huh. of our scripture and job descriptions, if you will. Yeah. And within community of what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Right. We're going to come at it differently. Right. We may struggle with different parts of it yep. because of our unique experience. Yep. But still, we are called to live life full of love. Yeah. Which is a right. very transformative. Right. For our community. Right. Yeah, I think um, 
I think we need to give people permission to live the gospel life in a different way than we do and acknowledge the fact that they may they may or are indeed living it but because of who they are their social location their spiritual location it might look different than ours but i f- you know we just have to not be so rigid about what it looks like it might look different it doesn't mean it's wrong it just might look different yeah i think the challenging thing for me in this exercise is um acknowledging the aspects of my spiritual location, the reality of my spiritual location, and thinking about (laughs) what you all think it might be because of my position and what the reality of it is, right? And so then I'm challenged by is the doing coming from the being or if I do change something or you know, feel like I need to do something, why am, I, why am I doing it? What's the motivation for it? Yeah. Right. Right. Steve, will you share um, your experience? Because when I did children's ministry (laughs) and somebody called me like at 8.30 and said, I won't be there, and they were the storyteller for Sunday school, who do you suppose I called? (laughs) Steve. So I think that you have a great example of, you know, serving. Yeah, and it's, I think, um, <laughs> I was just going to say, and being the pastor's wife, but being, the, being a pastor's husband, <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot of out, out there. It's a community, honey, but it's real small around here, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> you might have to stretch out a little further. Um, I mean, that can be a challenge because people have expectations of the spouse of, of pastors as well. But I think one of the things that, um, that Steve has said many times is that there's been, like, I've asked him to do things 
And he has done it, like, but he's not real happy about it. And I mean, like, here at church. <laughs> he's going to serve because he knows there's a need, but he might not be real thrilled about it. And almost every time that has happened, he's told me after the fact because he said, wow, did I get a spanking? Because he was so blessed by whatever happened that morning. You know, here he's like, I'm grumbling and I just need to show up like I'm asked to do. So, okay, so this sets the stage, like the big, the vision of community, what it means to be in community, our part in community. And so in the weeks ahead, we'll talk specifically about practices that help to build healthy communities and sustain not just the community, but us as well. And so that's what we can look forward to. So let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for um, the words. And um, Lord, I just thank you that you were able to help me to describe, explain, um, be honest and open and transparent with experiences and share myself. And I thank you that the people here... Um, are open and willing to share and have conversation and discussion. I think it, um, I think it is a different kind of feeling in community and one that um, allows us to learn in community and learn with you and recognize your presence here in our conversation. And so I thank you for that and your presence. I pray that you would give everybody safety in the week ahead and that we would also just keep this idea of social location and spiritual location um, in our, on our minds this week and just help us to think about how we frame that and how that impacts our lives, how we live life, how we view other people, and um, how that plays in our community. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, qu quick question. I, do, I did not love this experience with me down here because I can't see people in the back. Like, I, I want to see faces, but... I feel very strongly about not being up there. So for the sake of me, <laughs> when you when next week, could we move up and kind of just spread out a little bit? Because I just really don't want to be up there because I'd rather be down here. <laughs> so next week, come spread this way, and then we'll do community that way. Yeah. Yeah, especially at this time of day. Yeah, right. Okay, sure. Sounds great. Have a great week. Thanks for coming. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>